Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome to Democracy First, our virtual town hall for diverse, civic-minded people to gather Monday through Friday at 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time to discuss current events, legislation, civics, politics, and the effect they're having on our democracy. A two-century-old work in progress shaped by We the People, and we gather here in Democracy First to continue that work, making good trouble. We welcome new voices and we treasure the old in our conversational roundtable centered on respect, where we strive for a safe, welcoming space that is informative and inspiring because it's fact-based and solution-oriented. We do honor a few rules of etiquette. We understand that we can agree to disagree without being disrespectful, and we can attack arguments or ideas without attacking people. We understand that we raise our hands to speak and mute our mic when we're not, and this is for sound quality and to allow others to do so without um, interruptions. In other words, being respectful. A reminder, it is a daytime recorded space, so please remember this with the personal information that you share and the language that you use. But otherwise, we um, ask that you not be shy. Come on up. Join us in the conversation. Help us get the conversation started. And uh, to request um, to speak, use the microphone icon over to your left. And once you're brought up to speaker, use that heart icon over to your right. You'll get a panel of emojis. And the hand to the far right is how you raise your hand and you will be called on. So we're looking forward to having you join our conversation today. I want to thank you for being here and ask that you please share and retweet the space while I turn it over to my awesome co-host, Eugene, and put some information up in the Jumbotron and send out some invites. So good morning, Eugene. How are things there on the Pacific Coast, on the Pacific Coast? Doing good. You can put your hand down now. Okay. Thanks. Good morning, everybody. Um, Taco Tuesday. Um, yeah, I, I just watching, you know, what's going on, on on Twitter. I think people are real nervous and, you know, whatever. And the fact is, is it's Elon's site now. It's his site. Like, this, he doesn't have a board. He, you know, this is his personal toy now. And we're all his guests. And, you know, as his guest, he's got his his way of doing stuff, and that's his way of doing stuff. And I, I you know, I'm not going to fault fault him that he he paid for it, right? That's <clears throat> how everybody chooses to react to that is up to them. For me personally, Dee and I were talking about this this morning. You know, we're we're here, right? Like this election is really important, and they can have all the distractions they want to, including Elon coming in and you know, paying outrageous price for something that isn't worth what he paid for it. I don't care what they do. The fact is, is I'm going to keep my head down and I'm going to continue forward. I'm not going anywhere. They can't run me off unless you know they ban me from the site. Um, otherwise, you know. These spaces have been just an absolute phenomenal tool for democracy, um, and I, I don't want to see that go away at all. 
I, I think that, that that would be a shame to, to watch something that has so that has organically had such a, uh, a, a, a an effect on, you know, this ability to get the word of, you know, our right to vote out. Right. That's how this whole thing started was, you know, we do. D and I really believed in our right to vote. Like we can't change anything if we can't vote. And, you know, we said back then, you know, and we used Georgia as an example because that was where we saw a lot of this, these shenanigans happening and, and said, look at, you know, this is going to be a reality and we have to start working on getting out the vote so that we can secure our right to vote. Because we can't change any of this if, you know, President Obama doesn't have the power and the votes behind him. He's got to have that or, you know, it's all null and void. I mean, we can sit around and be mad at Christian Cinema and Joe Manchin all we want to. You know, the fact is, is there's a way to fix this. And, you know, we knew this back then and we know it now. We got to get to the polls and we got to vote. So, you know, all the noise out there. Plug gears sometimes, right? Go watch a movie um, or have fun with it. Like, you know, for me, it's like I have fun with it. Like some of it's so stupid, I, I'm going to make fun of it. Um, and like I, I have fun with it. But, you know, that's not for everybody. And I could see how this flip, flips people's lids in, in, in a lot of different directions because I've had a couple instances where I'm like, you did not just say that. But here we are. All right. All right. That's all I got. Okay, well, uh, Graham has his hand up, and uh, Alexi has come into the room. So um, sometimes it takes us a while to get started in the morning. So good, he can, um, or the first part of the space, so he can give us an update on uh, the things there. So Graham, I'm going to go to you and then bring uh, Lexi up. Hello, everyone. Uh, Thanks, Dee and Eugene. Happy, uh, happy seven days uh, till uh, the election. So, yeah, uh, the, the finish line is, is right over there, seven days away. Um, yeah, just uh, my thoughts on this whole uh, Twitter thing. You know, I reported a few test tweets and nothing's come of anything. Uh, so basically at this point, I'm blocking my way to happiness. Um, but, uh, you know, I'll stick and stay, make them pay. Uh, and that's, you know, I'm not going to let all the, uh, I'm filtering out hate speech and filtering out names. So I don't even have to see them on my timeline. So I'm using the Twitter, the Twitter tools to, uh, uh, spare my, my time and attention. Um, I put two podcasts up in the nest. Uh, one is, uh, star talk radio. Um, and that's by, uh, uh, Dr. Neil deGrasse Tyson. Um, he's a science communicator. A few years ago, he he broke his promise of never talking about politics, and he hasn't looked back. So uh, they did a podcast on why do we believe in conspiracy theories. So, and this is like a, com- a, a like a a comedy kind of uh, podcast. They laugh and joke, and and it, I like it. So that's kind of good. Um, and then I listened to one this morning. It's really serious. Um, and it, again, it's this 5-4 podcast that uh, looks at the Supreme Court of the United States. And this is Georgia law, uh, Bowers versus Hardwick. And basically, um, you know, it, it uh, uh, deals with uh, sodomy laws and um, goes through the history of that and what's at stake 
uh, after, uh, well, what's at stake right now? They're trying to uh, limit people's freedom. And, you know, uh, I believe uh, that, um, you know, happy and healthy consensual sex is a human right. Um, and they're going in and starting to, um, you know, say what is what is right and, and what is wrong in the bedroom. And uh, the, one of the interesting things that I learned is that not only does, and I'm going to get graphic here for a second, but I'll, I'll try to keep it scientific. Um, not only are they talking about uh, sodomy, um, but also the legality of things uh, such as uh, oral oral sex. So um, these things uh, fall under this uh, legal, you know, mess or whatever. And they're trying to limit people's freedom. They're trying to invade people's privacy. And they're trying to take away uh, human rights. They're trying to erase, uh, uh, you know, uh, two-spirit LGBTQIA um, rights. But also, uh, what they, and this is kind of like the, a parallel uh, with the war on drugs, is that they, uh, they pick and choose when to apply these laws, uh, depending on who is being questioned or, 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 or put uh, under scrutiny. Um, so I found that kind of interesting uh, that, again, they're targeting certain demographics with these laws, um, and they discuss this. And this podcast, they joke around and, and, and stuff like that, um, um, but they really give you a real uh, feel of like how, uh, how negligent uh, the Supreme Court is behaving uh, right now. And I think this is a really, again, there's a whole bunch of uh, Supreme Court uh, cases uh, that are being, um, you know, are under scrutiny right now. And I think it's important. Um, you know, this is a human rights, uh, a freedom. There's a whole bunch of, of basic human rights they're going after. So I'm not done the podcast yet, but I highly recommend it, you know, if you have time. And, you know, it's something that you would be interested in to listen to this podcast. And again, it's another example of, um, you know, conservatives just going in and, and changing a few words here and there and changing the law that, uh, you know, the, the America that they want to see. And they're erasing things like science and evidence and all of the work and progress that has been done to achieve these freedoms and rights uh, for really ridiculous reasons. And, you know, the interpretations are and they go through the interpretations and the dissents. Um, so, you know, this is one of the things that uh, needs to be addressed. I know there's talk like, you know, should they expand the Supreme Court? I don't know what those things are, but, you know, we need to uh, um, be aware of, of what they're doing um, for sure. Uh, <clears throat> thank you, Graham. Absolutely. And um, I appreciate those recommendations and um, I have added them to my list and hopefully we'll be able to get to them very soon and i appreciate you sharing those resources with us um anything to help to um shed some light and um expand um the information that um, we have around this i feel like we do know but sometimes um hearing um other people explain it, giving us more examples can help us sometimes help other people to understand things better as well. So I appreciate that. And um, 
I'm going to go to Mark and then Lexi, um, because I, I think Mark may have been moved to uh, speak uh, because of Graham, but I invited him up. I'm going to go with him and then Lexi to give us a report on what's going on there in Good. Ukraine. Okay. Good morning, everybody. How are you? Great. Yes. Yourself? I'm hanging right in there. It's, you know, some days it's a challenge. <laughs> um, so kind of, yeah, along the vein of what uh, Graham was saying, so Stephen Miller's group and I, I debated about sharing the, the news report or on Twitter, and I'm not going to. I don't want to give his organization any more ground than what they, they already have. But he filed, uh, he and his organization filed suit um, against Texas A&M this morning uh, for uh, affirmative action uh, rights um, being removed. And that, and also I think he named in there President Biden. And there, there's just a whole bunch of nonsense going on. But that's, that's really what's happening right now. It, like Graham was saying, even with the sodomy laws here in Georgia, what they're doing is they're they're taking these things. They want these things to go to the Supreme Court because right now they have you know they've got the deck stacked. So they want all of these issues taken to the Supreme Court, and then what they're going to do is kick them back to the state. And then like you know Lindsey Graham did, then they'll come out and say, well you know we're just going to the federal government's just going to ban this or we're going to enact this you know nationwide now. So basically, it's it's the way that they're getting around, uh, you know, the actual codification of these these uh, laws, and it, it's just, you know, reading some of that stuff this morning about Stephen Miller, it is absolutely frightening. Um, you know, every day, you know, these alarm bells are going off, and it just seems like the more corruption there is, the more corruption there is. So please encourage everyone you know, stop strangers on the street, ask them to vote to save our democracy. Um, so, you know, I just, I don't know what else to do at this point. How, how do you stop corruption when they stand behind the very laws that we uphold to not have corruption? So it just, it, it's a frustrating thing. And the only way we're gonna win this is first we have to win midterm elections and then we start to proceed from there and come up with with that plan. So anyway, that's it. Thank you everybody. Thank you, Dee and Eugene. Um, have a good day. All right, Mark, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yes, um, we. that's where we, we start. Like we, it's so important that we win this election simply to hold on to our democracy as um, shaky as it is right now. We need to hold on to it because um, after that, we're going to be lost um, and um, it's going to be easier for us to save it right now than it is for us to get it back once it's totally lost. And if we lose it now, it'll be lost for a generation. So um, I appreciate yeah, you all know, you guys coming up. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. that that's the thing is it's easier to save it right now because once we lose it, what they'll do is they'll go in and in, in an act um laws and regulations to keep us from voting. The, I believe it was a Wisconsin gubernatorial candidate said today that if he's elected that, you know, uh, Democrats will never win another election in Wisconsin. You know, mm -hmm. so that's what we're facing. So. And that's pretty much their attitude nationally as well. And and I think one of the, um, the state um, 
the U.S. senators or representatives have, has said, you know, words to that effect. And, and keep in mind that they're trying to move us toward that kind of illiberal democracy. Look at Hungary and Viktor Orban, who they have, you know, paraded around um, as, as a great example. And, you know, they have said it's not about uh, people being able to vote. It's about the people who count the votes. They actually decide. And there you have, um, you know, a, an illiberal democracy and much worse because, you know, they, they vote in Russia, too. But, you know, Putin keeps coming up. <laughs> you know, he, he keeps winning, you know, and his opponents are in jail or dead. So, yeah, um, seven days. It's it's they um, develop s sudden window allergies. Yeah, window allergies. It's, it's a condition only known to, you know, that country. But yeah. <laughs> so uh, Mark has come up and I am um, not oh, sure. Mark, do yeah, I know. I, I'm trying to make sure. Mark, do you have a moment? Because we're going to get a report from Lexi, who um, um, is briefing us on the things that are going over there uh, on in Ukraine and Russia. Absolutely. All right. Thank you. I appreciate that. All right. Lexi, you're up. How are you? Hello, brother. Hello, hello. Long time no seen. So good I evening, know. good morning, whatever. <laughs> Uh, place of time during day we have um, so so yeah no I mean <laughs> now that I come so not, not so often anymore so there are so many news that actually you don't know even what to begin with so um, well I, I know that your uh, how it's properly called midterm elections are due to be next Tuesday that's quite odd for me that it's on Tuesday not on Sunday but okay <laughs> Fine, don't, be like that. Don't don't rub it in, Lexi. Don't come over here flexing. <laughs> but uh, from that perspective, today was the first time, first day that our new parliament uh, gathered. So the all the deputies were sworn in. Blah blah blah. No, nothing interesting happened. Basically, they are also, you know, these kind of who will be. Uh, how to say chief of no basically in uh, tasked with uh, maintaining order so to speak <laughs> in the parliament so there is special position for that so they elect those guys no so that's from let's say latvian perspective so we all also had uh, uh, parliament elections recently um ju just to update that it's it's uh, i think eight parties that uh, this time made it into uh, parliament. So in the in that sense, it's it's always more interesting than your elections, where you basically have only two, and then it's uh, all these discussions are basically no either one or other. So there are no third options. Well, here we have, and well, it's both. Uh, it has of course advantages, and it has also disadvantages, of course. So yeah, no, but uh, going to probably topic that interests you more is about Ukraine. So after Ukraine successfully attacked Crimean bridge, so they uh, basically started shooting rockets at uh, um, civil uh, objects. Uh, they have 
successfully destroyed, uh, I think, uh, critical infrastructure in um, um, near capital of Ukraine. Uh, so there is uh, serious issues with electricity, with water. So they are targeting uh, these electric plants. They are targeting uh, switch boxes. No, so these big transformers. Uh, they are targeting uh, water pumps, water facilities. So no, it's it's kind of your bookcase uh, war crime like definition what they are doing right now then ukraine as you know the the last uh, biggest uh, thing was uh, during this i think saturday it was right that uh, they successfully attacked sevastopol uh, so that's uh, in crimea the the main port of uh, black sea for well it used to be ukrainian now it's in control of russia Actually, that's quite interesting. Uh, just, just to say that uh, why Russia was in, uh, in 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 Crimea all the time because they also had an agreement that Russian fleet can uh, use these harbors, and so they had their uh, army already there. So it was like peace deal with Ukraine and uh, Russia that they are uh, collectively using these facilities for their uh, navies. So, yeah, no, but now they attacked and uh, uh, according to news or, or, or rumors or, or something, they, so this is kind of never in wartime history, I think, that two uh, these uh, flagships have been drowned in one, <laughs> basically in half a year's time. So first was this Moscow that was drowned and second is Admiral Gorshkov or something. No, it doesn't matter, but basically, yeah. Yeah, the and uh, well, Russians are of course very, um, how to say it, politically correct, angry at this. <laughs> so they said that they will pull out of this uh, grain deal. That uh, no, basically, uh, Ukraine is still one of the major exporters of grain, and uh, now the port of Odessa is the only port through which Ukraine can, uh, no, basically, ships come can come in and out and during uh, summer it was agreement in UN between Ukraine and Turkey and uh, well UN that uh, Turkey also supports with like Navy um, escort these uh, trading ships and that the grain can be uh, transferred and then Russia said that okay this deal might be off but then Turkey said that, yeah, but you know, we have like six times bigger navy in Black Fleet than you guys. And do you really want to to start doing this? And so today this has somewhat changed. So Russia is just saying, yeah, but we cannot be sure that Ukrainians are not blowing up something or they are not smuggling like explosives into uh, through those ships, to which I could say that whole Polish border is open to Ukraine and they are definitely getting explosives or whatever is needed through that. So I don't see why, why necessarily <laughs> need to use ports and then, then ships. So no, those things, uh, Sweden and Finland are slowly approaching on being ratified by all other NATO nations about that they can be accepted. Of course, Turkey is still to be like they they still have to 
ratify it, but as far as I know that Sweden and Finland and Turkey had some sort of deal going on, I presume that this is that Sweden and Finland will kind of keep a bit a uh, voice down about what they think is these, um, I don't know, human rights abuses in Turkey and, and so on, because let's be honest, Turkey is also not not a democratic uh, state right now. It's also the authoritarian regime. It just happens that it, let's say, mostly is probably, you know, according to our, uh, let's say, and by our, I mean, Western needs. Yes. So they are kind of also participating on this, but they like to sit on these two chairs to speak. And Finland and uh, Sweden have, uh, I, I also shared in, in Nest or Jambatron, how you like to call it, uh, this that they are already saying that once they are accepted, they will request and uh, allow uh, basing of basically all sorts of missiles on their land. So it's it's like if uh, Moscow was so scared about Ukraine joining NATO, then now from Finland it's actually much closer flight time to Moscow than from Kiev or from Ukraine. So, and of course in, in the Eurozone, in Europe, it's, it's uh, quite high inflation. So in my country and in uh, other two Baltic states, so we are experiencing over 20% inflation right now. I also shared this no, diagram in, in, in Jambatron. So if Thanks, you're interested uh, in that. Thank you so much for the update. I have a question mm -hmm. because I don't think we've had a chance to talk to you very much since, um, you know, Sweden had an, a, an election recently, too, and um, their um, right wing party won. So how has that um, has it had any effect on their you know, um, application, which I guess was already in process or whatever? to um, the UN, but just in the dynamics of, you know, their interactions with the other countries around them and within the country, have you noticed or has there been any? You know, actually, Sweden is very interesting country in a way that uh, actually, yeah. uh, I, I have a lot of colleagues in Sweden as well, so I can talk like hmm, privately, like with a couple of beers about <laughs> what they think about their politicians in parliament and the, the the thing is that actually they say that this the, these these people are not really necessary because you no know, like it, it doesn't matter so much because also you have to understand so sweden is very very let's say homogenous mm, homogenous yeah but they have a lot of uh, let's say these um, um uh, refugees and so on, which also kind of raises some issues, and this is one of the reasons why maybe this uh, right-wing party won. But uh, basically, it's so orderly already that there is no, not so much, uh, not so many challenges actually to do, and a lot of them are covered by not by let's say parliament or or something like that, but by municipalities and so on, and uh, so it's. Uh, it, it's not so, much so to the fix alarm. there, and yeah. this is why, uh, let's say, this uh, having or not having this parliament does not influence so much uh, country as a whole. Uh, to, I, I, 
I can say that I haven't heard anything in regards of that, that something has changed or, or, or become different or that some, let's say, uh, relations have worsened or, or maybe gotten better. This I don't know. What I know, though, is that in Italy they had uh, election recently and uh, the lady stepped into this prime minister's position, I think it was yesterday or no, basically last days somewhere. And she's also from from like right wing. In terms of support for Ukraine, she has, as I understand, doubled the support that Italy is providing. But in terms of what it means in general, like uh, for political system, well, that's that's quite an interesting thing. Yeah, because this nationalism in one way or another is again on rise in uh, in in Europe and also partially because because of this war in Ukraine as well because then you you somehow start thinking about okay but what is the identity of this country and you, know, you you have to understand let's say USA is uh if I'm not going into much detail about what I don't know no so it it's a different country than than these old European countries, which like have these nations or or people living in the same area for uh, basically millennia, right? And uh, that's different. Uh, so USA would be similar if uh, Europeans would have integrated into what American native nations were, and then let's say we would have like some Cherokee. <laughs> countries and so on or states or, or something then we would be speaking on the same level about that so no i i don't know all in all it's it's kind of it's happening but i would wouldn't say that it is really really this far 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 right that everybody is afraid of so okay just, that's my so, gut feeling let's say okay well i appreciate you coming in and sharing with us um and if anyone has any questions for Lexi, I'm not sure how long he'll be able to stick around. He's always uh, open to answering those. And uh, we're always um, grateful for him to come in and to kind of give us a, an update on what's going on there from, you know, uh, as close a perspective as we are probably able to get. And just want to say I missed hearing from you, Lexi. Good to hear your voice. Absolutely. Oh, <laughs> and and we hope you your your family is doing well um, and that you are, too, that things are are going well for you there. And I can vouch Thank he's, you. A real, he's a real person. For sure. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Well, good to have you here. So next we're going to go to Mark. So we'll get uh, kind of a legal update, hopefully, or anything else that he'd like to share. Always interested in that. Um, love, uh, lovely to have him in the conversation so early. So look forward to hearing from him. And I see Tiff is here and hopefully she can can come in um, when she has an opportunity to give us an update as well, too. So, Mark, you have the floor. How are you today and what is on your mind? <laughs> I'm doing great. Hello, Dee. And hello, Eugene. Happy All Saints Day and and uh, whatever the celebration is today everywhere else. But um I'm glad Halloween is over. <laughs> Thank goodness. I gave out all my candy last night, um, but I want to give some candy today, too, on, on uh, Democracy First. So um, I, I um, had taken some time off 
uh, busy with the kids and everything like that. And, and uh, I had a lot of friends in town over the last weekend. Glad I have my voice back today, too, for the Raiders-Saints game. Of, of course, it didn't go so well for me as a Raider fan. But um, And also, there was, there was uh, you know, not stuff going on. But I'm going back to my roots, getting back to straight legal stuff. I know I talked about some other stuff before. And uh, happy to always engage in, in, in a robust debate and like with this very intelligent, very uh, incredible group of scholars and, and just passionate people that care about the situation that we're in here in America. Um, so I, I, I love it here. I, even though I and even though I have not been participating regularly over the last couple of days, I've been a, a avid listener. So I just want you to know that, you know, even if I'm not even able to come on live, I do listen all the time as much as I can. Um, but today I wanted to talk, I wanted to kind of talk about the Supreme Court, um, and I always love um, following. Uh, and you might hear my voice crack because I was at the game, so just just, just uh, be be uh, <laughs> be uh, patient with me if it cracks. It's not because I sang last night or anything like that. It's because I'm still I'm still recovering from like um, all the booing of my own team. Um, Ketanji Brown Jackson, I, I I can't stop talking. About I feel it. your pain, Mark. Well, it's 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 pain, but it's like it's like sweet and sour sauce, right? Because uh, she's the sweet, um, and the conservative block of the Supreme Court is the sour. Um, and I'm not saying that as a fan of Ketanji Brown Jackson, even though I am one. So I'm gonna hook my bias up right now. I am a big fan of KBJ. Um, I think she's extremely intelligent, um, first and foremost. Um, I, and also, I love the way she thinks, not only pragmatically, but intelligently. And, you know, it's, it's, she's just a, 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 just a beautiful mix of person that is probably more qualified than almost anybody up there. I'm, I'm including even the Democratic uh, nominated candidates for this position. And I'm going to tell you why, though. It's not, and I, I, I'm telling you, it's not because I'm a fan. Because she gets it, she gets the argument, and the argument of our day is originalism, what, and whether we have a living constitution. And what do I mean by that? The, the conservative, the conservative constitutional outlook is that the constitution should be, should be interpreted as the framers originally intended meaning the things that they say should be interpreted from their original meaning and adopted as close to the, um, the origins as, as possible. Second Amendment, they're originalists. They read the words and say the words. That's why you don't have, that's why when there's, even when there's a comma that says, you know, that, that if you read English and you have an English professor friend, they will say that, you know, it's for a regulated militia, the rights of persons to be armed shall not be abridged, right? But even though it's, it's like there's a, there's a clause that comes before that that's very important, they don't interpret that clause. They, they say the rights of the individual is independent of that clause, right? So, but even, even Antonin Scalia, who was the courts, one of the court's most prestigious conservative judges said, there was some kind of like, you know, there has to be some kind of regulation. That was the Heller decision, which is the DC gun regulation case. What I'm getting to is this. 
we're talking about the 14th Amendment. <clears throat> and um, it's interesting because this argument has been going around for several decades. I mean, almost like, you know, literally, we had Thurgood Marshall arguing this stuff, you know, almost over uh, 60 years ago, right? Well, 70 years ago now, uh, 54, about the 14th Amendment and whether it's color, color blind or color conscious. And this is not actually for all my historians that are here listening. You, you would be right to assume that this is as much of a historical interpretation as it is a legal one. It's almost like I almost feel like I'm not even making a legal argument because as a as a fan of history, because my history as an individual in the United States is based upon the 14th Amendment as a descendant of slaves from Louisiana, this is important to me, right? Where, you know, where, where I got my rights from in America is very important. And the 14th Amendment is so important to black Americans, it is indubitably and inextricably bound to our very existence in this country. Because in 1868, it gave us the same rights as white people. The descendants of former slaves got the same rights as white people after much debate prior to 1868. Because they were debating all kinds of stuff. They even had white people in the original draft of, of the, um, the Civil Rights Act. There was a Civil Rights Act of 1866 that said that black people should have the same rights as white people. It literally said that. But they took that out. They said that that's not good enough. They're like, we can't have, we can't, because it creates a discriminatory purpose somewhere, one way or the other. The same rights of white, you can, you can interpret that. And that's kind of being interpreted now, too. They, they want to kind of take that back, right? So they, they, they constitutionalized the Civil Rights Act of 1866 through the 14th Amendment, which applied the Fifth Amendment to the states, but also what it did, <clears throat> um, well, let me back up. The judicial, the, the judicial philosophy favored by six of the nine members of the Supreme Court, they believe that the Constitution should be interpreted according to the original meaning. I said that, right? But the Congress that ratified the 14th Amendment in 1868, uh, in large part, right, they, they did so to ensure that formerly enslaved people in the South would not be denied citizenship, um, which, again, goes to the Dred Scott opinion by Justice Taney, right? Dred Scott was, 14th Amendment overturned Dred Scott. It wasn't a Supreme Court case that overturned Dred Scott. It was the Congress did. That was the, that's the balance of power, checks and balances. Congress can pass a law that overturns a judicial interpretation of a law, right? And this is a side note. I think I said this before a long time ago. But a side note, Justice Taney is married to Francis Scott Key's sister who wrote the Star Spangled Banner. I'm just... You know, putting that out there. Uh, fun fact at a cocktail party. Hey, you know, uh, Justice Taney was married to Francis Scott Key's sister. You know that, right? Um, <clears throat> so, you know, that, that's that's left up for interpretation. I'm being kind of funny right there. Um, but the but the Fourteenth Amendment, again, going back to it, it was originally understood to allow, a, I guess, what would be called appropriately tailored race conscious decision making. That's what Kataji Brown Jackson was saying that it's originally tailored for a specific reason because there was no other reason back then. 
for the 14th Amendment, but to make sure that in formerly enslaved uh, Americans had the same rights. And they took out the same, they said, we're not going to say the same rights as whites, just equal rights as everybody else in this country, period, with a T, period, t, right, that T. Um, and the attorney from Harvard made, made this argument yesterday. It was, it was an interesting argument. Um, he said that the framers considered and rejected proposals that would have made the Constitution colorblind. They actually argued about this before. It's, it's in the annals. It's in, it's in the arguments. You can Google this stuff and say, hey, what were they arguing about the 14th Amendment? They were arguing this stuff. He said the Reconstruction Era Congress created the Freedmen's Bureau and the Freedmen's Savings and Trust Bank to help formerly enslaved Americans. Right when they did the 14th Amendment, they created the Freedmen's Bureau and the Freedmen's Savings and Trust Banks. And they passed laws to explicitly target financial fraud schemes against black veterans, provided special chaplain services for black regiments, and provided funding to charities that specifically helped black orphans and paupers. Right? That's the same Congress that passed the... That, not, not just passed the 14th Amendment, but ratified as a constitutional amendment to be bound to the country forever. But conservatives look at the same thing and they go, wait a second. And here's the, here's the other part. I know that. I know I'm in democracy first. And there's, there's another alternate fact universe. And, and they, they'll tell us the same thing, right? There's another universe that thinks that we're full of shit, that I am liberal, um, which I don't I think I am, but I, you know, I will take it if that's the if that's the badge I want to wear. It's the I, I consider that a red badge of courage, um, pun intended, because that's a great book. <clears throat> um, but they think that they look at the same the same thing, like the Freedmen's Bureau, right? Conservative judges, and this this is and the reason why I'm mentioning this is because this is how Justice Thomas is going to look at this, because this is how Scalia looked at it, and this is how. Bar, uh, Barrett's going to look at it, and this is how um, Gorsuch is going to look at it, this is how Alito is certainly going to look at it, and then the cowards are going to agree with this. I call them cowards because they're, they're in a coward moment because they are, they are the, uh, the epitome of originalists and not even willing to engage in, in, into the jurisprudential curiosity and intellectual debate that we do here on all sides up on the Supreme Court. What they're going to say is, they're going to say, well, the Freedmen's Bureau, that's a great argument that was created to help black people. But that's an example, though, because they were the, the free African-Americans, or excuse me, they weren't called African-Americans back then. The free, quote unquote, Negroes back then that were free before the Civil War and free after the Civil War were included in the Freedmen's Bureau. So it, it couldn't have been race-based. That's the conservative argument. <clears throat> it's an example of the government undoing the effects of past discrimination in a way that does not involve classification by race, even though the acts had a racially disproportionate impact because some blacks were free before and after the Civil War. But in America, Katanji Brown Jackson would say, how do you undo the effects of past discrimination that does not involve classifications by race when it comes to institutions that admit that admit in trial in their filings that they were discriminatory on the basis of race how do you undo that past discrimination without even referencing it or taking that into account 
That's the argument that she made yesterday. And, that, and that's why there's a historical lesson and then a legal lesson. But it's all like, hey, judges, you said you were an originalist. If, if people like KBJ and the entire uh, liberal wing of the Supreme Court, and the reason why I call Roberts a coward and Kavanaugh a coward, because they claim to be originalists, but they don't even they don't even reconcile to acknowledge the argument that I'm even though Antonin Scalia would would probably disagree, he would engage in the in the in the in the curiosity of the whole thing, and like you know I've read I've read a lot of his opinions. I mean honestly as a as a Supreme Court justice, he was probably one of the most scholarly, even though I, I didn't agree with where he ended up. He told you exactly why he was uh, um, ruling the way he was ruling and went back, all the way back in history. And he probably would have made the opposite argument that I just showed you that, uh, that conservative judges make. But at the same time, these guys acting tomfoolery on the Supreme Court bench, like yesterday, talking about when will racism end? Well, I mean, you know, I wish I would have been there. My first thought when I first read that question was that lawyer should have said, I'm not Martin Luther King, so I haven't seen the mountaintop. But you know what? Um, when we get there, we'll let you know. Right? We'll let you know. Um, that was supposed to be funny, but it wasn't funny. Um, that's probably why I didn't say it. But hey, man, asking questions in Supreme Court argument about when will racism end, that's not scholarly. Um, that's not helpful. That's not talking about what we're facing now. And the reason why I made this point today is because we see the same, the same logic and the same thought process with these conservative judges when they talk about cases like Dodd, when they talk about uh, the right to marriage cases. They go back to originalism. They say, well, this wasn't in the Constitution when it was originally prepared and written. It wasn't even argued about. Abortion wasn't in the Constitution. And, the, and, and Justice Thomas, his, his war on substantive due process that was created uh, <clears throat> by uh, <clears throat> Griswold versus Connecticut, he hates it because it's not based upon what was actually written in the Constitution, what was actually discussed and argued and debated by the, by the framers. They make this argument in Dodd and they, they lay it in. They invoke these other cases that would uh, infringe upon our rights. This all has to do with the 2016 election and elections that came before it. The makeup of the court is directly related to how we voted over the last 20 years. Directly related. All these decisions are related to exactly how elections have, have, have turned out. So what I'm saying is... <clears throat> KBJ comes around and makes these arguments and says, okay, I see, I saw that, she, she studied them. I'm, I'm closing out right now. I'm, I'm in my closing arguments. I told you I'm a grandson of a Baptist minister. Sorry if I've been preaching. But I'm, I'm serious about this stuff, and I'm, I'm very passionate about it because I, I see this black woman making this argument, and it's not, it's not a black woman argument. It's an, it's an argument based upon, hey, I saw what y'all were doing. But you guys think differently when it comes to originalism, when it comes to there are certain amendments. You have a selective originalism when it serves your purpose, and your purpose is not constitutional. It's some other reason. She don't call nobody no names. She's saying, if you were an originalist, you would have to agree with me. The 14th Amendment was not colorblind. 
it was specifically color conscious. It wasn't like give black people everything. It was like, hey, man, the government can do some some stuff specifically tailored to make sure that there's no discrimination moving forward, but also make up for past discrimination. That's specifically what Congress did in 1866. That's specifically why they ratified the 1868 14th Amendment to the Constitution. That's where we're at. That's the pivotal moment of our United States that we're at. There's a rewriting of history trying to go trying to happen and there's there's a reinterpretation of our laws that are trying to happen that made us free to begin with I've already voted wow and if, if voting is not important to anybody who is ever, who's listening to this or who we will reach out to they don't understand where we are in this moment this 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 moment is so critical not only in our politics but in our laws and in our society and how that background affects each and every one of us as we relate to each other and also as we relate to government and how we have opportunity in this country brought to us, not just as we have opportunity that we earn. Because that's the difference that Katanji Brown Jackson was talking to when she gave the specific example of a legacy white student to the, uh, to the, uh, the guy that was representing the, the student group um, and, the, and the, the descendant of slaves. How would, how would one be treated different than the other? It was, it was an amazing example she used. Amazing. I'll close with that. Thank you so very much, uh, Mark, for laying it out uh, and doing it in such a, a passionate way, uh, yet easy for us to understand and follow. And it is. This is exactly where we are. And um, I do think that is the brilliance of her argument. I, I'm not a legal scholar. I don't have that training and background, but I do love that she does go back to that originalism, which is what they harp on all the time. And it's like, really, is this where you want to go? Come on, let's go there. And um, I see it tying in to their argument, you know, in that, you know, trying to basically say we're not a democracy. And um, remember, this is, you know, this is just a, a county seat that my cousin was running for. But that meeting, you know, you guys, you should watch it because it is the exact same ideology and talking points that these people at the highest levels of our government and, and, and the politicians are now spouting. We are not a democracy. And this is why, again, it is so important for us to vote. Thank you, Mark, for you know doing your civic duty and for continuing to talk about uh, the importance of it and engaging others to do the same. Because this is where we are, folks. <laughs> They're, they're basically willing to, you know, they'll cling to the original constitution until it no longer serves them. And then they'll tear it up and think nothing about it. And this is who we're dealing with. This is where we are. And um, we can't change this overnight. We didn't get here overnight, but we can certainly stop the bleeding. And uh, we are really, really, um, our, our democracy, our country is, uh, is, and a dangerous point right now. So thank you again. And uh, I do have Allie who has come up 
and I'm going to go to her next. And I'm going to see if Tiff has a moment. Invite her up and extend an invitation to anyone who is down there in the gallery. We thank you for being here. Um, and if you would like to join in the conversation, please know that you're welcome. If you're not able to, know that we understand that too. And we just thank you for being here. And I ask that you share and retweet the space. And um, always um, honored, as I say, many of you come share with us while you're working and doing other things. And Eugene and I are grateful for that. So we're going to hear from Allie, then um, Tiff, and then Carmen. Thank you so much for letting me come up. And I um, perhaps we'll be shifting subjects later, but I did want to just kind of chime in with what Mark was saying. As I as I was reading through, you know, the different comments that uh, Justice Jackson was making versus the comments that the other justices were making, it was making me think back to that time. Do you guys remember? I don't know if you remember this, but there was a point when they were discuss discussing pornography and one of the justices, I'm sure Mark, you know which one it was, but said, you know, I can't define it, but I know when I see it. I remember and that. And it was like, Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's like, I'm sorry, but you need to be able to define it. It Because otherwise we're talking about what your background is, your impression is, what is your legal basis for this? And although, you know, I may have agreed with their decision to, to legislate pornography, um, the idea that a Supreme Court would, would, and this is the kind of stuff they say, it's like, we get to say our opinion but without any basis for it. And our opinion happens to go along with a whole political agenda. And so when you have somebody like Ketanji Brown who can come along and say, uh, Brown Jackson, excuse me, can, who can come along, come along and say, uh, no, let's go all the way back to the, the basis of your rational argument and show you where it's irrational. Um, and you need to prove this because we are in a court of law, <clears throat> excuse us, you know, it, it is really, really powerful. And the whole thing about right to privacy, all of those different things that were overturned recently on these just like whims of opinions that were written that were obviously partisan um, is, is really. It's, it's almost know. as if the decision was made before it even um, got there, right? <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. So I, I just, uh, it reminds me of different points in history that I just kind of recall of when you had seen the Supreme Court come up with some kind of interesting rulings. But here we just have seen this string of them blatantly based on a political affiliation and ID, you know, ideation. And then we have this, this ringing bell of a voice saying, hang on a minute, here we go. Let's talk about that. So um, just so important. And I, I, I just a little tiny anecdote. I saw several of our people in, you know, in the, in the, in the, the groups of our mutuals and all who had, um, dressed up as, as Justice Jackson, um, in, for Halloween. And I, I had this vision of like, what if we had a whole court of Justice Jackson's? <laughs> oh my so goodness beautiful oh one could hope goodness. huh a girl can dream <laughs> <laughs> okay i'll i'll talk, talk, go down and if we talked about other stuff but thanks so much mark for that thank you very much for letting me come up you guys 
Well, thank you, Allie. Always, uh, you don't have to uh, go down unless, you know, you're having some connection issues, but, you know, we always love to have your voice in the conversation. And um, yes, I did see um, a few of those and Sean did it extremely well. I don't, yes, yeah, she is here. So yes, Sean, yes, Sean. Uh, <laughs> uh, she did it very well. And I would like to see, like I said, a whole nation of just this Katanji Brown Jackson's, uh, you know, rising up. So uh, again, I appreciate you. Uh, we're going to go next to uh, Tiff and then um, Carmen. Carmen, are you at work? Tiff, you got a moment? I know you both are. I'm at work. work. Oh. Okay. Uh, let Tiff go and then uh, I'll be back. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah, four minutes. And then okay, I'll be back. go ahead. <laughs> All right, go ahead. I know. I it's a marathon. Guys. I know. Go ahead. Sorry, sorry. All right, well. I just want to say, I just wanted to bring, make this point because this is really driving me crazy today about people voting, early voting versus election day voting and vote by mail, right? So if you listen, if you listen to all these analysts, they keep saying, you know, Republicans are going to show up on, on election day as though Republicans are not showing up now. And they're making it seem like Democrats only show up for early voting. First of all, there's not early voting in every single state. So that is nonsense. Um, in the states that there are early voting people that are Democrats still show up on election day. Some people cannot show up on early for early voting due to proximity. There's in my, in my County, we only have six or seven locations. And the one that's closest to me, I still have to drive to versus going on election day. If I didn't have a car, I would have to go on election day to the, to the elementary school where I would have to walk to. So there is a convenience factor. Yes, it is It is convenient to vote early if you can get there. It is also convenient if you have to work. But there is still a lot of older people that want to go vote on election day. That is the day that they have known to vote and they still want to go and exercise their right on that day. So this, this idea that Democrats are, are like everything is determined by early voting and they're like they're like stalking the early voting as if, as if democrats are not we know republicans are also early voting they're sending their mail in ballots florida they're just mad because we're smashing it and they're just yeah, trying like, to dissuade us from i'm like where <laughs> what is happening here like the discourse has gotten even more stupid over the last week i feel like people are just doing the most let it play out. I'm sorry. This is getting absurd to the point where people are determining the elections based on early vote and mail-in. And first of all, you don't even know how a Democrat or Republican voted. A Repub You're literally looking at, the, at somebody's affiliation and determining if that person voted. Um, you know, you're, you're making an assumption that everyone that's Democrat has voted Democrat and everyone that's Republican has voted Republican. And then the people that are independents, what are you, what, what are you now assuming that they're voting because they, they are independent and they could swing either way. So I'm just over this narrative of, of election day versus voting, voting, uh, vote by mail in my state. We're not. You, you all you know is how many people have voted that are Democrats thus far. I can look at it. I can tell. I mean, I can make an assumption based on what I see. Yeah, turnout is better. That means Westmore is like likely going to be the governor, which he more than likely will be. But the point is, is that there we we have gone from polling to this obsession with early with early voting numbers, 
And the GOP is trying to flip that because it looks good for Democrats. So now the TV analysts and all these other people are like, yeah, but okay, how about yeah, but you shut up because I'm over your nonsense. It's getting ridiculous. So just just pay attention to the narratives that keep coming out. People are mad that people are being optimistic. Apparently, you're not allowed to be optimistic about the election. You're supposed to be, you know, doom and gloom and be very cautious. I can say whatever the hell I want to say. You can say whatever the hell you want to say. We don't have to agree. So I don't know where this this idea comes from. Don't listen to this person or don't listen to that person. Listen to whomever the hell you want to listen to. If I want to be optimistic, I'm, I live in reality. I can be optimistic. I don't know what's going to happen in next week. I really don't. And I've been paying attention to this for, oh, for since the last election. I can't tell you what's going to happen next week. There are going to be some races that we win. There are going to be some races that we lose. Cumulatively, they all need to come together for, a vic- for an actual victory. Because if we win... You know, we can win 217 seats in, in, in the Congress and still lose. So it is it is about it all coming together. Now, the state level, yeah, I want my governor to win. I think he's going to win. On on the, the Senate level, cross your fingers and pray that John Fetterman gets a victory. Tim Ryan, maybe Val Demings can pull off a miracle. Maybe Sherry Beasley pulls off a miracle. I don't know. Only people that know what's going to happen is the voters. And even they don't know what's going to happen. So all you got to do, cast your vote and say a little prayer. If you pray, to ask the universe to bless us with a victory. And that's it. But all of this other nonsense that people are trying to do and making life difficult, just stay positive. That's the only thing you can do. That's all you can do. And I'm done. And I, I'll be back. I have to go to my meeting. Thank you, Tiff. And I appreciate that. Yes, because... Um... You know, they want us to um, to be afraid and to uh, be uh, the face of doom and gloom. But we've done the work. We're still doing the work. And I will remain positive and optimistic. And, you know, again, know that it's not over until it's over. And that's Election Day, you know, and then a few days after that, <laughs> you know, for some races. So we're going to wait because we know no matter what happens, there's going to be nonsense they it just is because where they don't uh, win and they being the Republicans, they're going to start some crap. You know, it just it just doesn't matter. And I just want us to stay focused, do what we need to do to bring in those votes so that we have numbers too big to be ignored or, you know, rigged uh, without any, um, you know, with ease. But they're going to try it. And we're just ready. And I'm ready for us to win. And I'm ready for us to fight to defend those wins. And, you know. So thanks again. I appreciate you coming in. Carmen, if you're still here, I'm going to give you an opportunity to chime in if you'd like before you have to get back to work. And um, bringing Shauna and uh, Kevin up. Carmen, are you still there? Okay, she may have had to step away. Um, um, I'll go with um, Kevin and then Shauna. Hey, Dean, Gene. Hey. Uh, yeah. Hey, I'm there with uh, Tiff. I'm I'm totally over all the polls. I'm not even paying attention to them anymore. I voted. I promote people to vote and encourage them to vote. I don't want to hear any complaints from anybody that says. That, you know, this is not working, that's not working, I don't like what they're doing, look, 
you didn't want to cast a vote, you don't get to complain. As far as I'm concerned, it's just all freaking chicken little, the sky is falling and gloom and doom and the polls, polls, polls. You know what? I'm over it now. All I want is people to vote, get out there, send it in, whatever. Stand in line for hours. You know, if it, if it takes that because you know, the, the polling place is super busy, I'm there to support you. You know, Christ's sake, if I can get out there and you know, defy the law and give people water and drinks to just stay out there and hand them an umbrella or a chair or whatever, I'd be out there for you. But, well, thanks. Uh, yeah. Well, thanks, Kevin. And I know that, you know, you have been uh, working and doing things there locally on the ground. And I just want to thank all of you because I know many of you, most of the people, in fact, in this collective community are active in working. And I appreciate the work that you do and certainly appreciate when you come in and share and the conversations that we have here daily um, around our democracy because it's critical. And Carmen has come back in with her hand up. So I'm going to go to her and then Shauna. Good afternoon, Dee, and good afternoon to everyone. Just wanted to say thank you for the space. Uh, you always have very um, informative conversations, which is important for our democracy. I just wanted to mention anybody in the Orlando, Florida area, uh, we are going to be hosting Val Demings, a block party in the black and brown community. So if anybody is in the area, it's going to be this Saturday afternoon just to get the message out and get the vote out. Thank you so much. And, you know, I'll stand back to listener. I am working to eight o'clock tonight. Well, we hope you have a lovely um, work day. Um, and I Thank you for coming and sharing that with us. I'll text my cousin who does live in Orlando uh, just so she is aware. And if she's able to attend, maybe she will. But she's definitely voting for It's Val. fish fry. Everybody should come out and eat some fish. It's fish fry. Yeah, I don't know. Um, she she has a lot of organizations that she's involved in. So I, I'm not sure uh, her schedule may already be filled with some other things, but I'm definitely going to let her know because um, she will tell other people. <laughs> so um, thank you for coming in and sharing that. And it's good to know, um, to have that on the ground report from the local areas of what the candidates are doing, you know, uh, to engage with their constituents, how they're going out there and asking for that vote. And they very, they should they need to. You you want our vote. You need to ask for it. You need to engage with us. So I appreciate that. And I appreciate the candidates like Val and many others who are doing that. So uh, thanks, Carmen. And if you want to chime in again, just stick your hand up. I'm going to go to uh, Shauna and then Graham. Good afternoon. Um I'm glad Carmen's here because I did have a question about Florida and maybe she knows and I probably should have asked Ms. Donna about this too. Um, I saw the um, the article about um, the the people that were arrested in Florida by, well, under DeSantis's orders, um, the people that were previously incarcerated um, that were able to vote, but then they were told that they couldn't vote. And I saw where it said that they were sent voter registration cards by the state. So um, I guess my question is, um, what is what is the policy on that? Are they allowed to vote after they've fulfilled like their probation and parole, or is it just like 
um, after they are like no longer in prison because I know in Texas, like they have to fulfill like um, their parole and everything because it just doesn't seem clear on what the criteria is. Well, the last I read on that subject was that if they were ex-cons and they were, they did all their time and they paid all their fines, they were allowed to vote. And it is true, they were mailed out uh, cards, like registration voting cards. So they went to vote because they had permission that they were allowed to vote. However, it has not come out if they had fulfilled their fines because when Ron DeSantis came in office, everything got flipped and they said that, oh, well, they can vote, but they got to fulfill all their fines. So there was an organization supporting the ex-convicts and they were paying their fines for them to be allowed to vote. I have not heard the latest on that situation where they arrested it. I think it was more of a, like a show. Oh, this is the law and order, but only for certain individuals. You know what I mean? So I don't have the latest news on what's happening with the folks that were arrested. And I'm sure they were released because they have permission to vote. They did have those mailings uh, with the registration card. So I don't have the update on that. I'll have to research uh, more in depth and see where, where that's going to be standing. Yeah, thank you. Because I just, it didn't seem very clear at first what the criteria was, but I assumed if you're sent a voter registration card that there's a green light to vote. I hope that they're the state is soon. And I'm sorry to the taxpayers in Florida, but that's, to me, that's just... That's a form of voter suppression. They they want other people to just not bother to vote because they don't want to, you know, be in fear of um, being arrested. And I hate Absolutely. that. That's yeah. horrible uh, what they've done to those uh, people. And I just and the, I saw a link. You know, there's I know there were issues with checking about the fines to see and issues with that type of thing. And I just that's that's awful. I mean, completely. Well, well, my understanding is that the my understanding is that one judge has already thrown one case out. And the problem with the DeSantis enforcement was that on the fine issue, it's not voter fraud. It's compliance, which is not necessarily an arrestable offense, offense, especially when his it's his his administration that gives people the permission to vote through the um, the registrar of voters. So I think you're you're right up the right alley, and that's also consistent with the law. Yes, absolutely. And 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 let's keep in mind the whole thing was absolutely designed just as an intimidation um, measure to um, make anyone else who may um, be a felon question whether or not they have the right to vote and even you know even if they're told yes still wondering like could this happen to me it's the same thing that they're doing with our election system it's planting these seeds of doubt and fear um this uh slow and steady um intimidation the poll workers being intimidated it's all designed to undermine our election system while 
they are screaming and yelling about them putting all of these laws and regulations in place to shore up our election system because they're yes, tearing Chris, it yes. down. Yeah. Yes. I I cannot stand that man. I really, I mean, I've, these people, like these horrible people, these last several years, I don't hate anybody, but I mean, it, whatever word is strong or close enough to that, I mean, these people are really pushing that line. So I hope, I hope Florida gets rid of him next week. Really, truly, please, please get that man out of there, please. Thank you. That's all that I have. Thank you. Thanks, Shauna. And I agree. And keep in mind, too, I put a statistic up in the Jumbotron um, a few weeks ago that, you know, people having criminal records is also, you know, another way that a lot of states and Tennessee is one of them suppress the vote uh, by not allowing uh, people who have uh, records to vote and then again, you know, making them afraid and question because I know here in Tennessee, um, once you have, you know, you've done your time, your probation, you can uh, have your rights restored, you have to apply for them. So I think there are probably, you know, some specific regulations around that, but we know that um, Ron DeSantis specifically put, um, you know, some fines and things in place again um, to to make it even harder. And um, it's it's purposeful and it's targeted and it's targeted toward a, a, a very specific community, as many of the antics that they pull are. So thank you so much, Shawnee. I appreciate you um, coming up and asking that question. And we do want to keep looking at this because these people all innocently voted because they had a voter registration card sent to them by that county, okay, who is responsible for checking to ensure that people who they give the cards to are eligible to receive them. And in the same state, people were charged with voter registration uh, or, or, or voting fraud who knowingly voted using, you know, um, you know, dead people's um, cards and, and all sorts of things. And those people got community service, maybe a slap on the wrist. Um, and we know that they were mostly from uh, the area of, I think, the villages and, of course, white. So it, it just never ends. And um, it makes the fight exhausting, but we're not going to give up. And I just thank all of you here um, in this um, community, in this space, because I know that you're resilient and I know you know what's at stake and um, you're in it for the long haul. But it does get exhausting. So I thank you. Carol has come up. I'm going to go with Carol and then Mark. Yeah, I just wanted to add to that, that, you know, even though uh, Florida, we lost uh, Andrew Gillum uh, to Ron DeSantis, the people voted to give felons who did their time and paid their debt to society the right to vote again. The people voted for that in a referendum, in a ballot measure. And it was a really strong victory for that. And then what happened was Ron DeSantis 
didn't like the fact that he lost that one. So he started to create, you know, to add on things like now you have to, you have to pay your fines. It's not so fast, not so easy. You have to pay your fines. And so what has happened is the reason why people got caught up in this arrest intimidation that he that he did is because the offices don't have information about people's fines. So they're given a set of rules to provide the voter registration and the cards to people. And there's no way to look up whether they have paid their fines, whether that they're, they're eligible to vote on every level. And this is where there are lawsuits being brought now because these are Ron DeSantis's workers working for him that provided the voter registration cards. And there is a, a gap in the system because if I'm a felon and I've done my time and I wanna do the right thing by the law, why can't I find a place to look it up? Why can't I go and find out if I owe anything? Right now, there's no system for that. And so that is the basis of major lawsuit right now against DeSantis. And, I and the, judges, these, the judges that are reasonable are throwing it out, right? But there are other judges, maybe in other counties, who may not. And so this is really sad because people have done their time. And what a horrible thing, right, to have to be taken in again I, it just makes it really breaks my heart yes mine um, too yeah i know because i know that it de definitely targets um you know marginalized communities um even greater and makes people afraid to vote as you just pointed out Desia. yeah uh, you know, it, it's it's an, it's total intimidation and fear-mongering um and people who come out the why do they need to go through this again? I, I think if I were in that situation, I would really think twice. Do I really need to vote? Do I really want to risk having to go back to jail again over something like this? So it's really it's really amazing that I don't know how that man sleeps at night. I don't know. I honestly don't know how these people sleep at night and then and then go on TV with their beautiful families. And his wife defends him as like the greatest man since sliced bread. Um, because he stood by her through her cancer. And, you know, that's laudable. Okay, that's that's admirable. But how can you be the kind of person who does that and also does all these other things? It's really, really hard to understand. Yes, um, I get it. And I did find the article about the, the villages, uh, folks that uh, committed the voter fraud, and I put that up there. And there is also an article that I came across about uh, some voter intimidation by um, poll workers in Alabama. And we know that this is going on across the country. And um, it's on purpose and it's with intent. But, you know, we, I, again, appreciate the, the steadfastness and the perseverance of our community and, and us in the, in the African-American community. This is not new to us. You know, people have suffered so greatly, have given their lives for this. So it really is infuriating um, to hear anyone, you know, talk about needing a reason to, to vote it's just like that is insulting to me <laughs> so um mark you're up next oh graham had his hand up graham or he, did you want to go or 
Uh, well, yeah, because you have spoken earlier too. Okay. I was trying to get the the folks oh, okay. that haven't. I love yeah. that you guys are so courteous and and <laughs> look out for one another. Graham, then you, and then Mark. Thank you. Well, thank you, Mark. Um, I just had, uh, I guess, some good news and some bad news. Uh, the first good news is uh, that, uh, and this has to do with journalism and indigenous sovereignty. And um, this group, I put the tweet up in the nest, it's NDN Collective. Um, they just started a magazine called Land Back. And if you look at my bio, I have that uh, word Land Back as well. And this is a, an effort of indig uh, for indigenous sovereignty. So that magazine just started. So that's kind of an exciting uh, source to get a, 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 um, an excellent uh, resource for the legalities of and and Inuit, you know the the analysis um, of this very complex issue. So that would be an amazing source. Um, I know we uh, Danny has her media space and. Um, Another thing is kind of good news is one of the one of my fellow tweets uh, just got um, named editor at the National Observer, uh, which is a grassroots journalism organization. Uh, she's an indigenous woman um, and with a vast uh, journalistic background. Um, so I'm excited. She's really excited. And this is uh, uh, funded by the readers. So there's no advertisers. So they don't have to curb what they say uh, with the litigation, you know, they can speak out against any company or uh, do any analysis because they're not burdened by the advertisers saying what they can and what they cannot cover. So um, that's in Canada, uh, but this NDN collective, this is in America. So that's kind of an interesting um, uh, thing. Um, my second. Uh, Was that your rooster? Yes. I'm working out in the, in the barn right now. So it's kind of surreal talking about this stuff in, in the, in the barn, but it is fun. I love it. Um, What's the name of the rooster? Sorry. <laughs> um, that one is Judy. Uh, we didn't know the sex. So it has a, <laughs> anyways, Judy, Judy is a great dad. Um, so I put another tweet up in the nest and it has to do with kind of this American influence on education and it's uh, influencing the politics in Ontario right now uh, heavily. Um, and uh, re recently they just sort of got all these quote anti-woke unquote candidates uh, in the um, Board of Education in Toronto. Um, Canadian public education is one of the, or was, one of the best uh, public education systems in the world with we had one of the highest scientific literacy rates in the world and they're attacking education the crypto fascists <laughs> just like they are in america um and there is some really critical and and disturbing news in ontario uh the premier doug ford who has met with roger stone um just announced uh, uh, using uh, the notwithstanding clause and violating the human rights of workers in Ontario. Uh, so this is a, a big concern right now. Um, the notwithstanding clause is kind of like this, you know, nah, 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 I can just say this. Uh, and one thing I will say about Doug Ford is he only has a high school education. He comes from a very wealthy family and he is not well regarded <laughs> in Ontario. Um, and um, I wanted to uh, just share what I've sort of felt about uh, Justice Jackson. 
uh, from the podcast I've listened to. And it's it, um, the level of expertise uh, that Justice Jackson uh, has is incredible. I kind of like the way I can communicate it is uh, she's using uh, their chess pieces to beat them at their own game. So she's undermining all their arguments, like walking through the park. And uh, she does it with um, sort of, you know, in experimental physics. Uh, sometimes if you ask the right question and do it the right way, the answer just magically falls into your lap and it becomes a scientific fact. So you drop these facts and it's, it takes a lot of talent to ask the right question and uh, frame something correctly uh, so you can immediately see um, you know what's what what is going on and it's it's really uh, it's a very uh, um, you know I wish I had that level of communication uh, but just an amazing skill set and sh like just like running circles around these guys on the Supreme Court um, yeah so I just wanted to throw that up there uh, for you and also you know this media thing this grassroots media I see a lot of potential I see a lot of you know um, you know, value of reporting on stories that we want to know about, not what, and that's kind of this uh, grassroots. You you tell them what you want to hear. You tell them the stories that you want investigated. So it's very crowdsourced and crowd-directed, which is, yeah, I'd love to see it in America. I mean, uh, and, you know, this Indigenous publication is one of these things. It's like, hey, if you can't, if we don't have reliable media, uh, we're making our own, and that's what they're doing. So thought I'd share that little optimistic uh, uh, story with you and my Justice Jackson analysis, an incredible talent for sure. Thank you so much, Graham. I appreciate it. And it was just lovely to to hear the background noise. It took me back to my childhood, I have to say. <laughs> I love it. So thank you so much uh, for you know sharing in the conversation today and uh, making some great points and sharing some great resources with us. I want to draw your attention again to uh, several things that we do have in the uh, the NAS, the Jumbotron. Uh, Dawn sent me um, some um, great information. And then earlier today, um, I saw a tweet. Um, um, oh, um, there's a tweet from Bobby about the Supreme Court rejecting Lindsey Graham's request to avoid the grand jury hearing. So that is good news. And there was some other court news that I had posted earlier. I wanted to mention these at the same time. Um, one of the, oh, the um, Justice Roberts um, blocked, um, temporarily blocked uh, the IRS from turning over Donald Trump's tax returns. So not good, but you know, the fact that they say temporary, I, I feel like it, ultimately it's going to happen. But with him, he's going to stall and delay it for as long as he can. And then um, chief um, um, his um, chief of staff, Mark Meadows, lawsuit challenging the validity of the January 6th committee subpoenas was dismissed um, by a federal judge. So hopefully um, he's one step closer to having to testify so they can wrap um, this um, report um, that they have worked so hard on to, um, you know, help us to see and understand uh, exactly what happened in our country leading up to January 6th and January 6th, you know, pointing out all the players and, and everything that was done. I think it's important. I think it's important that it be, um, 
you know, note it and in this historical fashion, but I think it's important so that we have these facts <clears throat> that are openly available that we can share and continue to help people to understand just how close we came to losing our democracy that day, but that the danger has not gone. It's still working. And I think that they've done an excellent job uh, to show us this and to show us how and um, hopefully help the you know Justice Department because they are working and there are some grand jury testimonies and things going on. And um, I do have a lot of faith in Merrick Garland and the way that he works. And I'm just continuing to pray for justice and um, accountability because that is the other, you know, we need to win this election, but we need these people who have perpetrated such um, unlawful, awful things um, here um, on the American people to our country, we need them to have some accountability. And the sooner that happens, I think the sooner we can get to healing and restoring our democracy. So Are you there, D? Yeah, I can't hear D either. Me neither. I wonder if she's talking and has it on mute. Uh, her her mic might her headset might be off. Who who is next? I'll just jump in real quick. So D kind of covered covered what I was going to talk about, which is the uh, just on the local news they had just come up with the the Supreme Court uh, is not going to block Lindsey Graham from testifying. Uh, about the uh, influence on, on the election here in Georgia. So that's a, a great win. And thank you to Mark for kind of explaining that to everyone a few weeks ago or last week, whenever it was about, you know, it really wasn't a permanent decision. It was just temporary. So I'm kind of hoping that that's what's going to happen uh, with uh, Trump's um, tax returns also, that this is just kind of a temporary situation and, you know, it hopefully it goes the way of Lindsey Graham's decision also. The other thing is uh, November 1st is indigenous, is the kickoff of indigenous people, Native American uh, celebration month. Um, so uh, I just wanted to remind everybody that, you know, uh, please don't just look at the surface stuff and start looking and digging. And I will be posting a number of different uh, new sources uh, that carry a lot of uh, indigenous uh, news. And so I hope people will become more interested. Uh, we're all kind of in this democracy together. So um, we need to, to kind of know the, the background and the facts since they won't start teaching these things in school. So hopefully Dee's back and I'm going to be quiet. Thank I am. Everybody. I am. And I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't realize my mic was on and I'm trying to answer the phone. <laughs> So apologies for talking over you. I realize that. But um, what you were talking about there, um, I um, follow someone that uh, Jazz, the professor who does this on this day in history. Um, and um, this is, you know, sad, but something that we need to not forget. And that is that the U.S. federal government began separating uh, in, in 1879, began uh, separating Native children from their families, um, you know to force assimilation so yeah um, you know 
that's the whole thing, and that's why I ask people to really learn the history because it not only relates to indigenous people, but it also kind of relates to what's happened to uh, the black Americans here. Um, culture was stolen, you know, you were it, it you was were taken, robbed. Yeah. yeah, it was beating beaten out of them. Yeah. You know, the whole effort was intended to erase their culture. <laughs> yeah, and and that's that's the whole idea of of with the. Uh, Indian schools was um, Richard Pratt, who was the founder of that theology, was kill the Indian and save the man. And, and, and so what they did was you weren't allowed to speak, you know, um, your, your language at those schools, you weren't allowed, your hair was cut, um, Native Indigenous people, uh, there's a, a big connection to having long hair, and there's, you know, a whole uh, medicine story behind all of that. And so, so all of these things were, were removed in order, you know, just another form of genocide. And again, you know, uh, African-American and black people were, were taken from their lands and removed from their cultures. So, you know, there's that, that kinship, that camaraderie there of a shared experience where other cultures who have immigrated here have been able to bring their cultures with them. So anyway, that's my, that's my talk for today. Thank you. Thanks, Mark. I appreciate that. And again, my apologies. Carmen, you're up next and then Allie. And I am going to be uh, winding down. So if you are here um, at the speaker, please, um, if you have some last thoughts you'd like to share with us, um, raise your hand and consider doing that at this time. And if you're in the gallery listening, um, please, um, come up and join us uh, before we close out today's wonderful conversation if you'd like to share with us. So um, Carmen and then Allie and Graham. Hi Dee, I just wanted, I don't know why I never shared it, but I wanted to add uh, the conversation in, in regards to Native Americans. I recently uh, took an educational trip uh, to the Grand Canyons and uh, uh, I was so amazed by the just the beauty and and just visiting the the, the Navajo uh, nation and the different tribes. It was like I said, an educational trip. So we were able to learn about uh, their struggles and what what do what they actually still experience to this day. Uh, we have tribes that. Uh, sometimes there's like three and four generations in one one home in the middle of nowhere. Some of them don't even have running water. Uh, they have to travel pretty far just to get water. We also have a tribe that that's, uh, lives in the actual Grand Canyon, and they have been off limits to the tourists since 2020 because of the COVID. So we weren't able to visit uh, that tribe that uh, we're only able to go either by mule, hiking, or by helicopter. And um, it was very interesting to me, Dee, because uh, we, we learned uh, their, you know, their, their culture, their religious beliefs. Uh, we also learned um, what happened to a lot of them uh, when they were, you know, attacked by Amer you know, by the Americans, and uh, we learned about their children being taken away for school because they were not allowed. They 
they actually wanted doctrinated them to, you know, learn the uh, American language. And, um, and some of them, uh, because they were like running away, uh, they would kind of leave to different places. And uh, the cruelty that was placed on them is, is just unimaginable. And um, like I said, it was very, it was a very good experience for me. I think it's uh, one that uh, folks should, uh, if they have an opportunity to visit, there's uh, Navajo, the Navajo Nation is actually, I didn't know this, is one of the, the biggest tribes that we have. And uh, we, we did go pass by some of their land and, and we kind of like, oh my gosh, they only got this land and that land. And, and you know, it's kind of sad that you know, they only have certain amount of, you know, land for them. Another thing I also learned recently, I was reading up on some articles that uh, some of them, uh, especially the Navajo Nation, they had to travel by horse just to get to a polls uh, area because uh, they're so far from, from where they, you know, they reside that uh, they got to go by horse just to get to a, a poll, a poll, you know, just to go vote. So that was uh, interesting to me uh, that I recently heard. But Carmen, I think we lost you, um, but I do appreciate you sharing that experience with us. Um, so I'm going to go next to, I think, Allie, did you have your hand up? Yeah, yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm a bit distracted now. Carmen's talking about uh, my home area of the United States, but the Navajo Nation is the largest, that, you know, and Eugene is right there if he wants to speak to it, and Mark as well, the largest um, Native American nation. It's the size, I believe it's the equivalent of the size of Tennessee. It's not small. Um, and there's, uh, you know, there's, I think it's 45,000 uh, registered tribal members living on the lands. And then there's close to a million, you know, around the, the sides and living in other areas. And my parents grew up in Winslow, Arizona, which is right on the edge of the, the reservation. And um, it's uh, so dear parts of my childhood are connected with that, but not the same as being um, Native American, but uh, it's it's huge. And the Grand Canyon is humongous and incredibly beautiful. I'm glad you got to see that, but there are many, many tribes in that area um, and uh, their interactions with each other. It's all, it's fascinating and beautiful history and absolutely heartbreaking at the same time. Um, but uh, anyway, I, um, and still when I was a kid in school, there were kids that were, I knew at church who were, had been brought into Indian schools. So it's, that was just recently, uh, abolished and yes, a form of genocide. Um, I actually put my hand up back when we were, when Shauna was here and there, we were talking about uh, DeSantis's, um, actions in Florida and, I think she's left now, but um, others of you have commented on it. And when we talk about uh, things like journalism, I think often when you see these 
specific stories where this these are like terroristic acts. These are acts that are done specifically. This and the and the kidnapping of the legal legal asylum seekers. These are clearly acts to spur terror in the other people that are in those categories. And of course, it's voter intimidation. But if we were looking at it in another country, like people are looking, for example, now they're watching Brazil, me amongst us, but, you know, we're very quick to point out, oh, look what they're doing down there, you know. The, the police were intimidating the voters and they were putting, you know, they were blocking the roads and here we have people who are already traumatized by whatever life's path brought them into being in the incarceration system, which we know is not, is absolutely unjust in the United States. And then those people being used as examples to terrorize other groups of people and people being kidnapped, including children. Um, so this is a kind of like human interest story for journalists that would be very interesting. I mean, I could see a book on DeSantos that needs to come out within the next six months, you know, when, when it before, and certainly in the, in this next period that compares his tactics to Goebbels, for example, or compares the tactics to any of these different cultures where children are kidnapped or people are terrorized. Um, and there are many different worldwide examples of this in other cultures. We're so quick to point them out in the other cultures. And we, when we look at them and our press talks about it, it's like, oh, well, wow, look at that. Hmm. Uh, you know, it's like there's a certain amount of desensitization, but also normalization and then just plain racism that comes out clearly in the coverage of this stuff. How dare he? How dare he do that? And it, it, these are ter- if you look at the definition of terrorism in the dictionary, which I've done a couple of times living over here in Europe and working on different issues that I've worked on, it is specifically to strike terror in the hearts of the observers, let alone the victims. The difference between general violence and terrorism is to strike terror in the heart of the observers. That's why it's effective. So DeSantis is a terrorist. And yes, I'll be glad to say that to space if I ever have the chance. Not that he'd care, but this would be the type of thing that it would be excellent to write a book on and compare him to the different world figures that we consider as terrorists. But in a, you know, in a very clear scholarly way, but we could interview those, those individuals because there are, you know, they're identified. We know who they are. And now, you know, they got to be used as pawns. They got to be put on TV, arrested on TV. And now the courts are saying, no, you can't do that. Well, good, the courts are saying that, but they're already victimized again. They need to have payment for, you know, PTSD treatment and the different things that were inflicted upon them. And then to look at the bigger picture of what that means. This is what journalism could be doing right now. This whole human interest investigative as it's unfolding now, not later, not Bob Woodward, we're going to publish it later after we see it happen, not Maggie Hagerman, you know, vying for access. We can all see it happening on TV. He's doing it on purpose to terrorize all of us. So as we're watching it, we can do it, even if he doesn't let reporters into his stupid press conferences. That's because he's a coward. We know that. 
but we can we can address it. It can be addressed through journalism. It can be addressed right now as it's unfolding, and it can be called what it is. Um, and it really does harken back to what was done to the indigenous population of the United States and chattel slavery, these original sins of this country. He's repeating them. He's repeating them. They're repeating them. And we can draw those analogies right now in real time. And they can influence the next elections. Let's call those out now, not wait to publish a book later. Let's call those out now. Um, so anyway, I'm, I've been having this thought about doing a, you know, starting a series of spaces about how conflict resolution rises up between different groups, big groups like South Africa, like, you know, different groups in China, like Northern Ireland, like different, you know, different areas where in our recent decades we have seen, uh, you know, there's the Tibet-China issue where we have seen different groups of people, let alone the United States, let alone all the different issues that are going on across the continent of Africa, let alone in Europe. Uh, and when we look at things like Croatia. I mean, we have many, many examples of groups in conflict, killing each other, terrorizing each other. How do those things start? How do they get manipulated? Because people are searching for power. And then how do they resolve? Because we've got to resolve this later. First, we need to vote and get the power clearly within the hands of the same people and out of the fascist hands. And then we need to do our truth and reconciliation process, uh, to use the South African term. But there, there's some very interesting books on it. The Dalai Lama and, and Desmond Tutu wrote a book together that's lovely called The Book of, I believe it's called The Book of uh, Peace, um, that trying to deal with that issue of resolving conflict of groups on large levels of peoples who have been te terrorized. How do you deal with people who have legitimate injustices that have been done to them and then resolve that to where you're in a point of peace eventually. So um, I just, we need to call these things, we need to call them out. We need to say what they are. The same as what happened with the beginning of what's now called the United States, our indigenous population, and then the population of people who were just brutally brought over from from Africa. And it's all throughout the Americas, th those issues, and all throughout the Americas. Uh, so anyway, I could go on and on, but just, uh, I just, it is heartbreaking, and we've seen it before. It's being done again, but let's call it what it is. That's terrorism. Thank you. Thank you, Allie. And um, it is true. Um, and um, they basically have unleashed, um, you know, a um, very real um, and present danger into our um, American political system and psyche that's um, very deeply rooted in terrorism and uh, violence and all the things that make up um, fascistic um, types of um, governments. So um, with that, um, I... Um, I brought Mays up, then I'm going to go to Mark and then Carol, and we're going to be, um, like I said, winding down here within the next um, uh, 20 minutes or so. 
Maze, how are you? So glad you came up to join us. Um, I'm good. I've just been listening and um, just very concerned. Because it seems to me that in this country, as people of color, particularly African-Americans, we are in this loop, in this cycle of constantly requiring our humanity to be viewed. And in so doing that, we're constantly being referred to for law. And as it pertains to us, it's always something different, like chasing a ghost. We're told we're citizens, yet we never really feel like we're included. And then somehow we embody what it is to be a citizen in this country. It's just, it's just so unique to be an American, in particular an African American on this planet. And as we are surviving here, there are so many people around the world that envy us. It's just, I find it, I, it just baffles me how, how all of this just takes place simultaneously. I also feel that is of the utmost importance to hold these people who claim to be originalists feet to the fire for what they're doing because it, they're really allowing or encouraging the peeling away of the democracy that we have here. And they want it gone because it really never took hold the way that it should have. We've always made concessions to the white nationalist in this country. Any step we've taken forward, they've been able to, to keep peace, to keep it from being ripped apart, from, to keep it, to try to attempt for it to be a unified country there's always some sort of appeasement that goes to white nationalists. It was okay for them to, for years and decades, to bomb our churches, bomb our communities, snatch us off the street like they did a couple of years ago, no, with no recourse, with no punishment. Now it's at particular doorsteps. And it amazes me how You've got any politician that will sit back and mock how another politician's family member is attacked in their home, and that is funny. How is that funny? There's a don't the Jewish people have a saying saying today for me? Oh no, it's African actually. It's today for me, tomorrow for you. If it happened to me today, it will happen to you tomorrow. It is very naive to think that it won't. It's ridiculous to follow these people and they will sit back and say, one person during an entire election that the whole country took part in, oh, that was wrong. That shouldn't have gone that way. But they get to keep their seat? There's no question about their seats? Because if we went that route, okay, we don't question it all. We question your seat. 
then we wouldn't have maybe the problems we have in the Senate and in Congress right now. If we could look at some of those seats. There's people, I don't understand how we're negotiating constantly with terrorists. These are terrorists. They've already said, no, um, we, um, we don't, we, we don't want to do that. So how do you fight a fair, that now the nation as a whole, whites and blacks included, everybody in between included, now you get to go through the gauntlet that black people, African Americans have always gone through. How do you fight a system to be fair and follow their rules when they are lawless and, and without rule and will do anything to oppress you. Now everybody's feeling it. It was okay when it was black people. It was okay when it was far down the road or in another town or some kind of version of it put on a movie. It didn't really touch you. Now it's touching everybody. Oh, it was just women? You think so? Now you got men being investigated. If you're mourning the loss of your child and you're being investigated, everything from your finances, where you went to school, it's like you're being investigated in ways that you never could imagine. For what? You lost your child? People need to wake up. It's, get, it's going, and this is just the beginning. Wait till they start telling you, you woke up. A few days ago, which I find fantastic. On one hand, you're told, women were told, you're not, you're less, you're not even a citizen. You're not, you're not protected. You're, they're two shakes from calling us uh, a property. They're really, really on that road. And then a few weeks later, what did Biden do? There were some people who woke up and were at $7,000 in debt in student loans gone. Imagine the big weight that was lifted off these people. And that's not even talked about. I mean, it's, it's, it's the, it's the pendulum going back and forth. It's like, it's, it's mind boggling how we're breathing, but we are, and we've got to wake up. We're, we're working with terrorists. We always have been. It's not new. It's just getting tighter. And they're going backwards. I'm just really, really concerned about it. I'm sorry. I'm on my soapbox. I'm only on my plane right now. All right. Well, thank you so much. Box. And it's, it's, yeah, and it's true. And we find ourselves, you know, kind of here again and again. And um, we continue to, to fight uh, to make that change. The struggle is a lifetime. So um, thank you so much, Maze. I appreciate you coming up. I know you come. You um, share uh, by listening with us um, regularly. But it's always good to to uh, have a voice um, that um, we have not heard um, who has been a part of the conversation. So again, thank you so very much. And um, up next, I'm going to go to Mark, and then I'm going to wind us up because I have to uh, cut it short today. <laughs> hey, I just want to come back and uh, talk about the um, what's, what's going on with the Supreme Court in these um, these initial cursory rulings. Um, and as uh, I think it was Mark, my namesake, um, mentioned before, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago when 
Clarence Thomas um, did an administrative stay on a ruling. Uh, then Sonia Sotomayor uh, did one as well. And then John Roberts just did one. And then now we're coming back to the the uh, Clarence Thomas um, <clears throat> stay where um, the entire body uh, heard the, uh, you know, evaluated the case and decided to reject it. They're not taking it up. This is happening, I, I think, for two reasons. Um, number one, uh, we're, it's, a, it's a divided Supreme Court. So um, before when it was 5-4, um, it, it's, it's pretty clear where where everybody was, you know, it's pretty clear. And, and we didn't get this, we didn't get a lot of these administrative stays too often. You can actually have uh, one justice just reject on behalf of all. Um, right now, they're they're being really careful about um, about about these administrative stays and how these cases come up, and and making sure that everybody gets to gets a everybody on the court gets a chance to weigh in before they come out with with a certain ruling. So th- this is just inner workings of Supreme Court stuff. Not there's when um, uh, like John like for instance Sotomayor did a stay. It's not meant to be interpreted as a decision on the merits whether it's success it's going to be a successful emergency. Uh, request or not. It's just a stay to see where, to check in with everybody else to make sure everybody's on board with rejecting it. So that's what happened in, uh, with regard to Lindsey Graham. Um, I, you know, I know that uh, Clarence Thomas did it and and by the way, he, you know, individual justices can, but then the um, the petitioner can uh, reapply it and, and another justice can decide something totally different on their own. Um, and even if Clarence Thomas did do that on his own, it'd still be evaluated by the entire body and could still be rejected. So um, things like this, I don't think the Supreme Court is going to get really involved and in, that aren't substantive law um, uh, issues that are coming up that are going to be changing precedent. Um, as you can see and as you can tell and, and feel, the Supreme Court's on a um, – um, with the 6-3 – a conservative majority of the Supreme Court is on a mission with regard to almost all of the Supreme, all of the conservative constitutional conservative issues over the past 30 years. They are are pinpoint dead on um, it, it, where they want to go. And, and you can almost draw a roadmap as to where they're not only where they came from, but where they're going next. Um, and I, I can I can actually promise you that um, some of these cases that, you know, a lot of the extreme right want to be considered are not going to be, but I'm, I'm pretty much, I'm pretty sure that Griswold v. Connecticut, I mentioned earlier today, which is the, um, which uh, had, had the right to privacy on the, what's called the penumbra of rights, meaning it's unenumerated in the constitution. You will not find right to privacy or the word privacy in the, in the constitution among many words that, you know, there, there's rights to, right. Um, but, um, the, the Griswold case gave us the penumbra uh, decision. And that's something that, uh, Clarence Thomas and his ilk that follow him, they just have a thing against because it made these other rights, uh, occur that exist by inference in the constitution, but not explicitly. And that goes back to what I discussed earlier about originalism and textualism. That's where you get the, the term textualism from is the argument against the penumbra of rights, which is the right to privacy and everything that begets from that. So someone, someone actually mentioned Bowers versus Hardwick, which is another one of the um, cases that came from Griswold as well. Um, it's, it's, it's called the progeny of Griswold. So Clarence Thomas, his his attack is on the all the progeny 
of Griswold, which uh, created, not necessarily created, but but interpreted um, a due process that existed in the Constitution that's called procedural due process, but the Griswold uh, Supreme Court interpreted this other kind of due process called substantive due process. And that's what Thomas uh, Clarence Thomas does not like. For some reason, I have no idea, uh, because most other justices in the history of, since Griswold, have accepted there's a substantive due process, there's a penumbra of rights, of unenumerated rights that the Constitution creates by inference, but Clarence does not want to. Um, and in that regard, and, I, and I'm going to end right here, and we'll, we can pick this up later this week, um, when you think about Clarence Thomas, you don't know where, you don't know why or where he wants to go with America. Um, I don't know why, I don't know why. I know it, I know it comes from a, I, I feel like it comes from a, a, um, a past of hurt. Someone hurt Clarence Thomas. Um, I don't know. And he got hurt based upon the color of his skin. I don't know whether he liked somebody and they dumped him because he was black. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what happened to Clarence Thomas, but um, something happened to him because of the evil and the disdain that he has for diversity and, and um, his, you know, not his own people, but just people in color in general and, and just equity uh, versus equality and these issues that, that surround diversity and, in education and, and, and elsewhere. Um, and then also where, where you want to go? Like, you know, his vision for America is, is pretty bleak when you think about the constitution and what it meant to this new nation and the amount of opportunities that, that were uh, abound in the, in the idea that it was an imperfect union that's striving for perfection. And, and it, it was ingrained in the very words of the constitution that it will always strive for perfection. Um, Clarence Thomas doesn't seem to believe imperfection and or at least what it means uh to be an imperfect union but always wanting to be one um so um first i wanted to mention the the administrative leaves but i think there's a lot i mean there's i think we you know i, I would love to dig deeper into clarence thomas and, and this 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 whole idea of the cons, the constitutional conservative probably later this week thanks d i appreciate the chance to come back up well, thank you so much, Mark. I appreciate it, you guys. Um, it's been a lovely conversation. And um, as always, um, all of the people who have participated actively in that, I do appreciate it. And those of you who have been in the gallery listening, um, it matters. And um, I'm going to turn it over to um, my co-host to give us some final um, thoughts while I close this out and invite you back here again tomorrow same time 1 30 p.m eastern time and um i hope you will join me there and i think uh tonight there is an eclectic history space going on um and you can join it's been surreal there i can't remember what its topic is but they're always wonderful so eugene over to you so i'm uh i i'm also pressed for time i've got an appointment i gotta get to um i got actually a lot i wanted to say but um, you know, other time. So, D, I'm going to go, because I know you're pressed for time too. So, I'm going to go ahead and say thank you to everybody that participated today. Uh, once again, it's always learning for me, and I, I, I love to learn. And there was just a, a, a lot for me to chew on today. <laughs> All right, D, over to you. All right. Well, we'll be back here tomorrow, and we can certainly pick it up again tomorrow um and um i hope that that we do because i think it's been 
some great conversation today, and I don't think that we have exhausted the conversation around um, the issues that we've talked about. So I thank you again all for coming here, joining Eugene and I today, and I'm going to leave you with these encouraging words from the late, great Representative John Lewis. Do not get lost in a sea of despair. Be hopeful. Be optimistic. Our struggle is not the struggle of a day, a week, a month, or a year. It is the struggle of a lifetime. Never, ever be afraid to make some noise and get in good trouble, necessary trouble. So I just want to thank you guys for coming and joining Eugene and I every day here at 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time, making noise and good trouble. I know you leave here and go out into the Twitter streets and in your real lives um, doing the same thing. And I know that it's making a difference. And I just want to thank you for doing that work um, and being committed to our mission of saving our democracy. So we got seven days to do this. And I believe in us. I believe in you. So I want to leave you with peace and blessings and invite you back here again tomorrow. So have a great rest of the afternoon.